Hey from Auckland, it's the We Fucking Love Startups podcast and I'm your host Troy Hammond. On today's episode we're chatting with Charlie Meaden. Charlie is the co-founder and CEO of Gembot, which is an AI automation investment technology. It's a pretty exciting time for investment technologies. We chatted with Brooke from Sharesies last week and so I really wanted to get Charlie on and talk about his new thing that he's building because he's looking at things from a different way. He's democratizing the brokerage system a little bit. He's building a wealth management platform that can help you with strategies and execution of those strategies and so really excited by this chat a little bit nervous because there's some really interesting stuff i read a, a blog that he wrote last night in 2021 which has pretty much predicted the exact markets where we are now and so hopefully i can pull out some information from him that can help us all it is not investment strategy none of this is financial advice just a disclaimer even though I may try and ask a few questions just to be able to like pull out my curiosity, um, we we never make we make sure that we disclaim that this is not going to be financial advice. It's mostly and hopefully going to be really interesting conversations around technology. Hope you enjoy. Kia ora. thanks for tuning into the We Fucking Love Startups podcast, brought to you by Talent Army. Have you done much in terms of marketing to get your name out there yet, or is it just? Oh, I mean, really, it's an interesting one, right? Because you're trying to you're trying to figure out what the right balance is with these things. And when I produce content at the moment, it's focused on how do I add value or to myself or to the community of people that we're trying to obviously engage with. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've done a bit of work with podcasts, but really thinking about markets and talking about different theses we had within our strategy that we run. Yeah. Um, so any kind of outbound stuff for the last, you know, couple of years has been around more kind of a view on the market or a view on kind of, yeah, tra- investing in general rather than, you know, building technology and yeah. some of the real work that we've been doing behind the scenes. Is that because you've been interested in it or you're starting to educate your audience on the credibility of information that you have? Um, you know, Howard Marks is a really famous investor and he writes these memos. Yeah. And... You know, he said for the first, I think it was like 10 or 15 years, no one read them, no one talked about them, and yeah. it didn't matter. Yeah. And, you know, from a memo perspective, which I like to write from time to time, uh, when it seems relevant and it seems like it's kind of grounded in some real kind of edge, I guess. Yeah. Uh, then I like to write. Um, you, did, you write well, man. I read your medium article last night at about... What time did we get back from dinner, Jono? About 9.30 at night and I started reading that and I I read every fucking word, man. Like it was it was intellectual, it was nuanced, it was like, you know, you could see that you'd taken some time and effort to actually tie things back and, you know, it was pretty ahead, ahead of what's happening right now, right? Yeah, like I was 2021. Re- yeah, I was reading it going, holy fucking shit, man. Was a crystal ball involved here or? I mean, it's an, I'm a massive like fan of history yeah. and reading history and trying to get my view from as many different people as possible. And I like to have the approach of I want to eat with as many different types of people as I can yeah. and garner their wisdom to help me inform, you know, my own wisdom. Yeah. Right. And I think that, there's a trap of getting kind of too invested into one ideology or one sort of view mm. that, you know, you kind of end up too focused on like one specific thing and then you're not seeing the bigger picture. Yeah. So you're not evolving, right? You're not thinking, you're not growing, you're just bi- like binary in your little world. Yeah. So you've always got to be open to, you know, new thoughts and how things develop. So uh, kind of getting a view from as many different, areas I can I think that gives at least me an edge to navigate what I believe to be kind of productive in terms of allocating whether it be my time uh, my capital or of course computation now computational resource and allocating computation is obviously now such a big thing in our world Uh, and we do it every day um, unknowingly you know yeah so you know I kind of try to think of productivity how can I get the most gains out of whatever I'm doing yeah. uh, in terms of using autom- like time, computation and you know capital. So yeah. um, let's, I, let's go back a little yeah. bit before we go yeah, yeah, there. Sure. So if so people are seeing this podcast and they're mm. like, okay, Troy the Fox Charlie and what yeah. does he do? Yeah. 
can we can you give them a bit of an elevator picture of who you are, where you've come from, and what you do? Yeah, um, sure. Uh, I guess yeah. Obviously, I'm Charlie, yeah. um, and I have been interested and fascinated by technology and markets for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, really getting involved in technology when I was playing video games professionally, and that's yep. where I originally got a passion for specifically technology. Uh, and professionally, while I was doing that, I did an apprenticeship as a goldsmith, mm-hmm. and I worked in the jewelry manufacturing industry for, um, I mean, I think it was about nine years all up. And that really gave me the ability to invest in my gaming, mm-hmm. invest in technology, and investing in learning about technology and learning to program. And I use what I learned from jewelry manufacturing around systems, like, because jewelry manufacturing is just you're building systems to create physical objects. Mm -hmm. Whereas now I'm using programming to create bits, you know, digital objects and how they move around and they work. So I learned a lot from jewelry manufacturing on optimization and you know, where you get to different bottlenecks, what's good to actually do manually and, you know, not scalably. Um, Mm. And just the way the industry works, you can work for yourself as a sole trader. And if you've got a good client base, you can do quite well. And that gave me the freedom when I was younger to then learn to program and to really invest in esports and gaming, which led me to my first startup that I created. But previous to that, it also led me to my first startup job, which Mm. was building a couple of platforms for gamifying recycling mm-hmm. Game, um, gamifying recycling yeah and i came to new zealand uh, a decade ago but i had spent some time in auckland i went to auckland grammar for a while uh, when i was 15 yep. uh, but from the uk um and yeah got into startups got into uh, building uproar which was my first startup yep. We got aqua hired after a couple of years. What was uproar quickly? Uh, yeah, so it was like it was. <laughs> there's some similarities between what we're doing now, uh, technically, mm-hmm. um, but obviously completely different industry. Um, so it was essentially a reward platform and tournament platform for esports and gaming. So mm-hmm. we ran tournaments and competitions for different games, and we also allowed users to connect their game accounts and then do challenges and quests to earn a digital currency. Yeah. Then with that digital currency, they could basically buy headsets, game currencies, all sorts of different things. And um, yeah, we built that to, uh, I think it was like 400 and something thousand users over a, about an 18-month period. Not bad for your first startup, mate. Um, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't bad. Um, obviously, I know so much more now. I think about all the things that we should have, yeah. we could have done differently to, um, you know, be in a different position. Um, but it was an okay it was it was not the outcome that we envisioned, yeah. but obviously it was a very uh, beneficial experience to go through. Uh, we got Aqua hired into another company that we worked at for a while, and then I exited with, you know, Gembot and starting to build that. Yeah. Um, so Gembot then. Yeah. So what is Gembot? So Gembot is basically your AI investment assistant and modern wealth platform. So you can connect brokerage accounts or use our brokerage account to then manage your wealth, automating and augmenting AI into that process. So how do you bring automation and AI into your wealth generation strategy of, you know, in your life, whether that's investing in, you know, collectibles, uh, publicly traded equities, um, funds even, and so on. But, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of literacy and there's there's a whole lot of depth that you can get into with that that users may not have access to. Yeah, yeah. And so that, um, I mean, I've heard you say that you're trying to digitize the Berkshire Hathaway fund, right? And so, Yeah, so the, the Berkshire V2 or what would Berkshire be if it was built with a lens of automation, AI and productivity? Yeah. Like deflationary forces essentially. Yeah. Um, and, you know, our specialty is bits, whereas, you know, Berkshire has been in, obviously they own a lot of public equities, yeah. you know, Apple, Occidental, all sorts of public entities, but they also have their insurance businesses that they own wholly. Yeah. Uh, a lot of what Berkshire has done and their success comes from their insurance businesses. Mm-hmm. If banking in the US didn't get regulated, now they actually might be more heavily involved in banking today than they than they are. So they actually discussed that, 
if there wasn't regulation in the US basically stopping them from buying banks, they'd probably be in the banking business now. And potentially you'd have a better banking system, at least at a regional level. Mm. Um, but because of the regulation, they essentially doubled down on insurance, which makes sense. Um, we want to, I guess, take their approaches and what they've learned from insurance and apply that to technology, automation, AI, and basically productivity in general. Yeah, cool. So this uh, person at the time, right, because last week's episode was Brooke Roberts from Sharesies, yeah. right? And then you're the, like the same week, you know, I'm getting to chat to mm. you. So if I'm, if I'm trying to tell or if the audience listening to this is like, okay, well, what's the difference between GemBot and Sharesies? How yeah. would you describe that? Yeah, so you know, primarily Sharesies is a brokerage service. Mm. Um, the way they innovate is by bringing you products to the market that allow you to allocate resource, AUM, um, your cash or whatever. So, you know, they're innovating at the moment, right, trying to do the KiwiSaver, the self-directed KiwiSaver account. That's where they're innovating. They've also got a high savings account that I believe that they've released and is in kind of early access at the moment with a a really good yield. Um, We don't innovate too much there. Now, we've got Gem Broker, which is our brokerage offering, our commission-free trading for US equities, ETFs, and crypto. Yeah, That is similar to Sharesies, but obviously the assets that we offer are narrow and different to Sharesies. Yeah. Um, when you think about GemBot, that's actually connecting these accounts to an interface that allows you to basically allocate more efficiently and understand risk. Um, do you know basically make in theory better decisions and get better outcomes? So more, GemBot's an ecosystem that will connect to different parts of how you build wealth yeah. and give you the best outcome for the lowest cost, essentially. Yeah, and so for those listening to that, that is, so essentially with a robo-bot platform, right, like you're getting to look at algorithms, automations, advice, questions and the likes that you can bring into that rather than someone just being on Sharesies and looking at like if I'm, my kids go into Sharesies, right, they're probably just looking at the logos, you know, of who they want to buy mm. on and they're making investments off the logos, yeah, so we have far more depth of uh, information on individual equities in the platform because yeah. we're, you know, we're providing that information. That's obviously part of how we operate and what we're trying to do with our product. Um, but it's only one part of your, it's only one part of your portfolio, right? Your shares account is one part. What yeah. about your income? What about your Binance account or your Easy Crypto account or whatever other accounts you have? How do you operate across three to five different, you know? Uh, kind of accounts yeah. and bring that all together in a you know aware manner like if you know if you connect your banks your sharesies your gem broker account and i don't know your uh, kiwi saver like i want to know insights about my whole net worth and all of these areas rather than just okay this is my sharesies lens yeah yeah you know our system over time may be able to say well oh you know you might be best to actually allocate through certain brokerages for certain different things because there might be a benefit. There might be a quantitative benefit to doing that. It might be as, you know, just alerting you that, you know, these are the fees you're paying across these different um, accounts. Yeah. So it's really about giving the user, like, the information and then kind of context around that information. Yeah. So I guess um, when you talk about your net wealth and likes, what sort of net wealth are you looking for in terms of your users? Do, is there a like minimum or like, so I was, I was having dinner with someone last night at a big, actually, I won't say the company, but I, sure. you know, he was like, um, yeah, like we only sort of engage with people that are really looking to, you know, invest one to $10 million, you know, and that's yeah. sort of our space. And he yeah. said some of them are like hundreds of millions of dollars, but you know, if you, if you haven't got a million dollars you could lose tomorrow, don't bother coming to us. And so, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, the good thing about our business and the, all the activities that I do personally is that I've kind of got a broad range of that kind of context, right? So from our strategy perspective, you know, that's trying to generate alpha, whereas yeah. with the platform, we see there's benefits for users that are, are needing that, that little push, that little bit of extra context and uh, conviction to make their first investments. Yeah. But we also recognize that with the GenBot platform, it's you know, instead of Netflix where you get one subscription and everyone gets the same service, you know, one user can come in and get like a, a leaf and the other person comes in and gets, I don't know, a Hummer. Mm. Um, and that, what I mean by that is 
we can see value for the entry level user. Um, we're we're focused on user experience to make the overall platform as easy to use as possible. Yeah. But our core users, where they're going to get you know really great value, is those users that are taking their allocation of their assets really seriously and they're regularly contributing, and they probably have over fifty thousand dollars invested. Sure. But you know our objective is of course to democratize access to the tools specifically and different investment types. Yeah, because there, so, there is a lot of people out there, right? And I mean, I have more than $50,000 invested, right? And would I say that I understand like deep investment strategy? Absolutely not, right? Like, so I try and learn as much as I can, but I don't have time. And so it's, mm-hmm. I'm very, I'm always rushing around to try and figure something out. And then I, I end up making a decision based off gut feel versus, yes. you know, like analysis. We, we get that a lot with our users. So we hear a lot of things and uh, during the kind of early access phase and through user interviews and stuff, obviously we're a product led business with hyper-focused on the user and what can we actually give the user. And we hear a lot of, you know, if only I stuck to my rules. If, yeah. if only I pulled the trigger, um, you know, if only I had kind of done the executional part of the idea or trade or investment plan I had, then I would actually have potentially done it. Um, and then, of course, you get the other part of it, which is ideation of strategies, ideation of what should I invest in? You know, what does the future look like ultimately? Yeah. Um, or, and where do I want different parts of my uh, net asset value, my wealth, my net worth? Like, where do I want to allocate? Yeah. Um, so break that down for me. So how does Jimbot then help for people mm. listening to this to say, all right, well, uh, first and foremost, right, so strat, like continue with my plan, invest in my strategy. That's that's quite pertinent in a down market, right? People yeah. are like, oh, do I hold? Do I? What do I do? Do I sell off and the likes? And so how does Jimbot help with that? And then secondly, how does Jimbo help with people to try and create a strategy? Yeah, so I guess first of all, so we have this kind of concept internally of these four pillars, uh, which investors, um, where areas where you know our product should help. So anything we build internally for the platform should benefit one of these four pillars, and those four pillars are uh, your net worth. So your overarching view of your like what assets you own, what liabilities you have and you know what your income is and what you're contributing and then we have discovery so how do we help users discover different funds different uh, assets uh, different strategies potentially just general information that will help them either come up with their own strategies or use another product that can help them fulfill a part of their overall Mm -hmm. net worth and then you have our ai assistant which is really trying to help you and give you con, uh, conviction. Yeah. So where you may not be sure on something, you can ask questions. Um, maybe in the future when you know you need to then escalate that to a professional, then we'll have that functionality on the site where you can actually get the right professional to then touch base with you. Yeah. What sort of personalization does the you know AI assistant give? So is it like is it quite personalized or is it? Yeah. The objective is to be absolutely personalized from a quantitative perspective Mm -hmm. so i've got your net worth i understand where all the money is i understand what the expenses are across these accounts Mm. i then understand the user's goals and i have good information as in good financial information that's accurate obviously if you ask these generative ai models you know lots and lots of questions that data may not be kosher yeah, and it's very important, and we should, you know, probably spend some time on this. Is around what does that mean from a kind of regulatory standpoint, and what does it mean from a product standpoint when, you know, people are building products on this, and how do they disclose? Well, this is, you know, this is how it's prompted. This yeah. is the information context it has. Where do you? Uh, where does this data come from? Right. So you're building this bot now. Yeah. Where Where have you got the data from? So we've got it obviously from a number of different areas and it's going to expand. So, you know, right now it's it's very early days yeah. uh, and we're going to, you know, lean on our customers to be like, okay, look, I really need this. You guys have built this, it's kind of working, but actually I need, you know, X feature because that's really a pain point for me. That's costing yeah. me time perhaps yeah. or it's costing me money Yeah. Um, or I just can't comprehend crunching those numbers. So that's kind of computation, capital yeah. and time again, right? Um, sorry, can you repeat the question? So yeah, the data that you've got on your yes, platform now. That's right. Yeah. So at the moment we have personal kind of net worth information based on your current accounts with us, which mm-hmm. is very limited. We have our own 
uh, brokerage, Gem Broker, and we yeah. have Alpaca right now. Yeah. We're in the process of adding 30 more. Hmm. Um, and we also have on our roadmap to add bank accounts, property, and um, investment accounts, essentially. Yeah, awesome. Um, so that's one part. That's kind of your quantitative net worth. Yeah. Then there's a number of other areas which um, we look for. So, you know, your personal goals, how, you know, what are you trying to do from this? What, you know, what are we doing when we're actually investing? Are we just yeah. being told to invest, right? But with no outcome in mind. Like, I think, yeah. you know, everyone should have like an outcome and a goal in mind because otherwise, why are we doing it? Yeah, indeed. Um, then clean data, clean financial data, clean data about assets, specific assets, specific funds potentially in the future and so on. Right, that's specific to us. That, we have a data lake with over 26 million data points in it. Mm. And then you have the model, whether it be GPT or another model actually in the future. So the way we've built this is so it's an open ecosystem. Yeah. You know, we want to be able to create a, a situation where you can kind of choose. And we think that that's where AI is going and where kind of, you know, automation and these things are going is, you know, you want freedom over, do I use the Twitter algorithm or I, do I just want to see what my, the followers I'm following is, right? So yeah. in terms of a cultural perspective from what we believe to be like good for the world is be, being able to democratize. And what does democratize mean? It means, or what does it encompass? It encompasses being open. Mm. So we don't want to, you know, put everyone just into our brokerage system because we think that there are lots of other services out there that would fit specific users better than maybe ours. Yeah. So that's not that's not how traditional investment brokerage services work, mate. So well, that's <laughs> so I'm not a traditional finance person, and our team isn't. We're, I guess, focused on technology and from a development lens, but. When we started this, and we started this with a single strategy that we've been running since 2019 now. Yeah. And we were like, okay, if we had a fund or a strategy, like how could we do everything completely opposite to, you know, the traditional um, kind of financial situation? Yeah. So we're like, well, we wouldn't have any management fees. We'd be performance only. Uh, we wouldn't go after market returns because there's ETFs that you can buy mm. for free. Mm -hmm. So... You know, and and we'll make it hyper liquid. So rather than you know a hedge fund where you might be stuck in there for two years, like how do we get you your money in a week? Mm. So that's so anything we do, we're like, how do we make it as customer centric as possible? And we think from the platform perspective, it's obviously openness is is a big part of that. Did you did you think about this in a way from democratizing the norm, or was it around because there is connotations with investment technology, right? that there's like rug pulls and dodginess. And so when, you know, if I find myself on YouTube late at night, which I usually do and watching CoffeeZilla or yeah. someone, right, I'm yeah. like, oh, here we go. Who's he going to talk about now? And so if I was building something in this space, I would have to be very open in terms of who we are, why we are, what we're doing and trying to be as transparent as possible. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think the, the cool thing about what I love about markets is, um, you know, I can take a position on a, a specific asset and you can at exactly the same time and we can both make money. Yeah. So because it's such a personal and subjective kind of arena mm. where, you know, time plays a big role, what you buy, position sizing. Um, can you give us an example of a, a position you've taken, you know, over the last couple of years yourself? Is there anything that you can talk to? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can talk. I can talk about, you know, a win or a loss. Um, you know, we had a, an interesting one, a really interesting one, frustrating, um, one of the most frustrating trades I've ever been in. Um, last, it was around 2021 when I wrote that memo and I decided to short Solana. Solana had gone from $16 to 200 and something. Yeah. Um, and I was like, look, I'm going to, I'm basically going to risk $50,000 here and I'm sure that the market has basically got ahead of the fundamentals. Mm. And that's our strategy, by the way, is to basically find where it's called the uh, the Medition Reflexive Strategy. Mm. And it's all about reflexivity. So George Soros has like five hours of this on YouTube. Yeah, It's all about where expectations basically disconnect from reality. And I was like, this thing's gone from $16 to $200 and something dollars. Um, you know, like this is this is a disaster waiting to happen. This isn't even decentralized. Like, and also how is this guy, Sam Bankman Freed at the time? Yeah. I was like, how is he, how is he thriving? Like he should be getting wrecked right now. That's what I was like. I was like, this doesn't make sense. I don't know how you, 
he came out so good for so long, and well, even with the lies, you know, afterwards. Yeah. But yeah, and I, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna short this thing, five x levered. I'm gonna basically put up fifty thousand dollars, and if I'm wrong, I'm gonna lick yeah. my wounds and move so, on to the next trade. Just quickly, but to put a pin in it and yeah. say. For people that don't understand what the short and long situation is, yep. right? Can you can you explain that really quickly before you go any further? Yes, yeah, it's, it's so it's really simple. It's it's so and I, you know short selling is extremely um, volatile, right? And I and I'm not recommending anyone go and do that, but it is interesting to learn about what it means, what the technical you know aspect of it is. Uh, but it's essentially you get to sell before you buy. Yeah. So. If I think that a specific asset is massively overvalued today and I haven't bought it, I've not enjoyed any of that upside, I can choose to sell it today and then I can buy it back later and close that trade. So it's very simple. It's I want to sell today. I think today selling today makes sense to me. This seems like very expensive. This is so high, I'm going to sell now yep. and then buy it back at a much lower cost once it Correct. falls. Yeah. So that's really it. It's just the inverse, right? Like you buy, you expect it to go up or you hope for it to go up and it's not going to go in a specific direction necessarily. Yeah. So essentially, I think this thing is extremely, you know, expensive. I believe that I'll be able to buy it later for cheaper. I'm going to sell it today. Yeah. And so you shorted Solana. Solana. Yeah. Yeah. So again it's all about your rules right so we had because i don't think anyone was fucking shorting solana back in the day right like it was it was like a mad gold rush for people thought. yeah yeah um i mean i don't know who did uh but you know we had a thesis on it and we did we had shorted it previously as well and done quite well when elon went on saturday night live yeah, yeah. Uh, and we shorted bitcoin as well at that time and it was really great because it was kind of like you know everyone expected him to go on saturday night live and talk about bitcoin whereas he you know we talked about what he's really passionate about which is going to space and yeah. electrification anyway so with the solana short so i'm like okay i'm, I'm gonna risk fifty thousand dollars here i believe that this is a really strong trade the market is like really overestimating where we're at so we put the trade on and it was getting to that point. I was about forty-five thousand dollars down, and you know, the price was you know around that two fifty, and I think it went to two sixty-two or something. Uh, I can't remember the specific uh, number, but we got liquidated within like five dollars of the top, and I don't know what price it is now. Maybe we can uh, find out what the price is now. Yeah. Um, but it was five x levered. I think you know I did some very light math on what the position could have been worth and it was significant um but it, you know but we you had our rule light math or you, you you knew to the exact no time. i didn't want to know once <laughs> i'm out of the trade i kind of yeah. that's it um for me on that one so but we didn't you know we decided not to keep servicing that trade and obviously in hindsight if we serviced the trade for another twenty five thousand dollar kind of margin of error yeah. we'd have we'd have cleaned up on that trade but at the end of the day we decided that was the amount of money we were willing to risk Oh, that's good. And what, what's been the what's been the one that you've been the, the most success? So recently, it was the banking short that we did. Um, so, you know, we have some really kind of strong views on on the banking sector and specifically Australian banks. And I did a podcast on it um, a couple of months ago, I believe, and that was talking about the trade before it happened. Yeah. Um, and you know, essentially, banks always make a lot of money just before they have problems. Uh, specifically in regimes where interest rates change and basically liquidity gets drawn out of the market. So my memo that um, I wrote and uh, you read, mm-hmm. that obviously talks about how when liquidity tightens, you know, the market is essentially forced into a situation where they have to be sellers because they're overlevered. specifically the banks as well. right? Like if you buy a bank and they have a run on the bank, then that is really volatile. Whereas if you get a business that has a bunch of money on their balance sheet, they've got no debt, they're kind of just like a SaaS business, it will take time for that business to fail. Yeah. Whereas like a, an institution like a bank can just fail overnight. Yeah, we've seen it, right? We've seen yeah. it recently with SVB and others. And, you know, if, you, if, if these Australian banks and the American ones as well, if they were to mark their bonds to market, they would all be insolvent. Yeah. Well, they have been in negative equity. So if there's a reason that they are forced to sell those bonds and realize those losses, mark those bonds to market, then that's when they're going to have issues. 
Um, and typically, leading up to that, they make a lot of money because mm. they they manage they can loan a lot. They can loan a lot. They get a lot of interest. They're gonna, they're doing a lot of business now. Obviously, you're seeing a, re, a retreat. Yeah, and um, liquidity is drying up. And you know how like investors go, oh, you should always buy at the bottom. You know, uh, was it buy low, sell high, right? Yeah. yeah. The problem is, is the way the mechanics of you know markets work. When you want to buy, typically your liquidity is being dr- like drawn away from you, so yeah. you actually are unable to even if you want to. So positioning yourself to obviously for that not to happen is extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. And so. I guess that's really interesting, right? And so what advice would you give for people out there that are like, well, I think the term is retail investors, right? Let's just say everyday investors or early investors, early stage. What would you say to them now if they're in this market, right? And they're thinking about, oh, have I missed the boat? It was the last three years of gold rush over or is this now still a good time to invest? Well, that's a, yeah. So, you, you know, I, I like to, stick clear of any advice on specific specifics but i think well what's the in terms of the investment strategy if we talk about it in terms mm. of a strategy does the strategy change this year now in the current you know economic situation than it than it did two years ago yeah so uh, that's i mean i guess for us it has yeah you know um interest rates play a big part in this um and also how uh, we're we're a lot of our strategy is about the psychology of the investor and the the the, the participants that are investing, uh, and the technical nature of liquidity. Right? Mm. How much liquidity do people have to put to work? Um, you know, I would say you, you want to try and come up with a very solid framework for what's going to work for your situation, mm-hmm. uh, and then you want to execute on that, being as well informed as you can. Yeah. So if I have a strategy, let's say, to you know, allocate X amount of dollars to my KiwiSaver and then I'm going to have some self-directed stuff on the side. I'm going to work out what am I trying to do? Am I trying to get capital gains? Am I trying to get dividend payouts? Like, what am I trying to do? Am mm. I trying to split that in half? Do I have some where I'm trying to actually get some capital gains and take a bit of a punt on individual companies or is that not for me and actually I just want to accumulate a very generic ETF and kind of allocate and forget about it Mm. um i guess it depends on that individual investors um and we call them independent investors because we believe that retail has become a bit of a slur yeah that sounds a lot better i like that better (laughs) yeah so independent self-directed investors we are all independent we're all investors because we're all investing our time capital or you know you know computation in some sense right yeah so we're all investors how do we do that and I think one thing that I would like to see change or, a, you know, a perspective change is, you know, we're all at the end of the day, people that have been on the planet for X amount of years, where it's 30 years for these financial professionals, right? Yeah. Where is the edge? And, you know, does a, an engineer that's working at zero that is well learned and well understands you know, data lakes and data structures and the future of, you know, data, do they have a insight that and an edge over a financial professional working at Goldman? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, so individual experiences and your own insights, like, could create an edge in specific areas. And I think to think that, oh, well, I'm a financial professional, so I am somehow superior to, um, you know, to anyone else is kind of, Naive. potentially not true yeah. depending on how or depending on the context and the perspective right and that's not to say that financial professionals you know are not uh, appropriate or mm. kind of somehow obsolete they're absolutely not obsolete they're absolutely needed but to kind of take this like blanket view of well professional versus retail or independent investor like there's some sort of edge here mm. guaranteed i think the fact that it's it, the perspective of it being guaranteed is maybe maybe wrong mm. Yeah, interesting time we live in. I think what I'm keen to ask you, right, so when I think about what you're doing and what uh, like a bunch of others are doing is is like the emergence of AI has really just like been obscene in the mm-hmm. last six, six to 12 months. And so 
Do you think that your products, like if we're looking at your products versus a whole floor at Goldman Sachs, right? Do we, is that going to enable them to do their jobs better? Is that going to take from their market share? What do you think these, these products are going to do to the industries that they're, they're born out of? Well, they're all nodes, right? They're all agents, right? So I do think that I'm very confident that over the next three years, like an individual could have like really strong operational execution within their strategies and run multiple strategies, which could be comparable to a multi-person, you Mm. know, fund in the future. I think that is possible. Now, are the returns going to be better? I don't know. But in terms of like operational excellence and ability to execute across multiple different asset types and strategies and manage risk across those, utilizing and augmenting that with AI and automation, absolutely that is possible. In what, 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 when are you thinking? I mean, I think in the next, in the next 12 months, we could, we could be really adding a lot of value. Like internally we use it. So, so you put your own money on the platform? Um, so, well, so we use, we have the same problem of we have five brokerage accounts across yeah. our strategy. So how do we solve that internally? Well, we have a bunch of automation built that builds our kind of view of our book. Yeah. Uh, and Gembot will take that, what we've done internally, will eventually override that and kind of be the, the end solution. Yeah. So I guess we have some of these same problems where how do you allocate effectively and manage risk across five accounts mm. because you need those five accounts because you don't have a prime broker. Yeah. You know, you don't have a relationship with Goldman or you don't have uh, a relationship with um, JP Morgan and you want to allocate quickly and efficiently over multiple asset, assets. Then that's an example of kind of improving that execution and that operational perspective for an independent investor that is currently obviously not, not so available. Yeah. What's this what's the landscape or the size of the independent investors in New Zealand? You know, is the has it improved or has it increased because of the platforms like Sharesies and Hatch and, and Co? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, uh Sharesies has, you know, really kind of opened the eyes of many people and, and like AI now and uh well AI the chat GPT specifically really has opened up create like has kind of unlocked creativity in our minds, right? Yeah. More consumers now have a view and a and a thinking, like a light bulb moments going off in everyone's minds on, oh, how this is how I can use it. But the fundamental technology behind it has been around for for a while. It's just that the interface that has unlocked this creativity happened to be a chat thing, mm. right? So, um, it, absolutely, like giving access to for people to trade assets is a fundamental part of unlocking and democratizing that access. Mm. Um, that's not so much where we're focused, uh, whereas we're focused on how do, you, how do you bring that together and how do you allocate. And so you mentioned that your platform obviously is not just that. And so I guess what, what is different then? What are you talking about in terms of the markets that you're across? So I guess the, the way we're building the business and uh, the markets we're kind of Going off to first is uh, the US, Australia, and the US, uh, Australia, the US, and New Zealand. Yeah, and there is a cent- there's over a hundred million people that you know have independent accounts, and obviously that's really people that own shares and ETFs and such. Yeah. So, you know, if you're then getting into if you're then getting into funds and bank accounts and bringing that together, obviously it gets larger. Yeah. Um, but essentially, our objective is to capture you know a small percentage of those entry level uh users yep. which we believe over the next six years we can um get to a million of yep. those entry level users yep. out of the you know tens of millions that there are and then we expect to get larger percentages of users that have higher balances essentially yep. and they they're taking it more uh seriously or they've kind of they're kind of graduating Right, yeah. and they're like, okay, how do I, how do I now manage the drawdowns? Because guess what, it's all about managing your drawdowns. Mm. When Buffett's like, don't lose money, like, right, he's like, there are two rules, right? Don't lose money, and then number rule number two is, don't forget no, rule number one. And yeah. what he means by that is, basically, compounding works both ways, and losing ninety percent of your portfolio is a, is not great. Like, 
I actually did a little um, forecast where you could basically, if you avoid the bad years and do like marginally worse for the rest of the time, you still massively outperform. So avoid the bad years, just stay off. Yeah. So I write, I wrote another memo called drawdowns matter. Mm -hmm. And like, it really was about like, yeah, drawdowns matter. Liquidity has been drawn out of the market in 2022. And, you know, if you were a growth investor, you may have lost, you know, 70% of your, or your value. That's yeah. going to, that's going to take years to come back. So you don't just sit on it and hold it and hold it all. I, I th it, again, it goes to your objectives. Yeah. You know, if, if you are really bullish on these growth portfolios and you're getting a 80% discount, like in, if you have that conviction, maybe you're happy. Maybe mm. you're happy for it to stay flat for the next five years while you accumulate, you know, relentlessly every month. Yeah. Um, I personally, you know, I'm obviously fascinated by markets, so I want to outperform. Yeah. And I recognize that drawdowns really do matter. So how do I protect, you know, my, you know, box of gems and make sure I lose as few as possible? Yeah. Um, I love the gaming, gaming analogy, mate. Hey, um, so where, like, where did your knowledge of the markets come from? Did you, are you like schooled in this? Did you just self-learn? I just read a lot of books. Yeah. Like I've probably read over a hundred books in the last kind of three to four years. Yeah. And what was it about the markets that interested you in the first place? Like why did you direct your efforts to this space? So when we got done with Uproar, mm -hmm. I was like, well, how do I allocate my capital and get returns that are similar to um, venture? Yeah. But liquid. And that then led me into public markets. And then I decided, okay, I've got to, I've got to learn. I've got to understand. And that means that I have to learn from other people, of course. Yeah. So then I just went deep into different investors and also uh, unrelated kind of books as well. You know, books on, um, you know, there's a book called How to uh, Thinking in Bets which yeah. is talking about how do you um, make decisions uh, with the best information that you have possible and yeah. then be okay with the outcome. Like I can make a good decision or a well thought out decision, um, but have a bad outcome. Mm. And personally what I'm trying to do, it's like that Solana short where we lost 50 K like, am I okay with that decision that I made at that time? And I am, I'm still happy, you know, I'm not happy that, you know, we lost 50K in that trade. I'm, I'm happy that I made that decision and I was, I had a well thought out process of doing it. So yeah. the thinking of bets is about not getting too disheartened by the outcome. Like yeah. being, if you're always focused on the outcome, then like it's going to be really rough. Mm. Whereas if you're focused on, oh, I made a, a well thought out decision or, you know, and executed it and that's kind of done. Right. Is, it, is that just changing the narrative from saying, or the vernacular from saying decision to bet, like from bet to decision, you know, like... I mean, we're always, like, that's what esports taught me, yeah. right? It's like we're making a bunch of decisions without incomplete information. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the person across the table from me is going to do in this situation. I only know what I can see and what I know from history, I mm. guess. Yeah. Um, again, same with startups, right? If you make too many decisions, you get decision fatigue. And you're making decisions maybe like for the sake of it. Like we make hundreds of decisions, maybe even thousands of decisions on a daily basis, but it's two or three decisions that really matter. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Hey, so I want to come back to something you said before. You said you're a student of history, right? Yeah. And I, so I've been telling people, like we're in this weird position at the moment where tech's resetting a little bit and the likes, and I, I don't want to gloss over it because I've talked about it a bit on the podcast. But I keep saying to people, look, if you look – if you're looking back 20 to 50 and 30 you know, years, or even if we just look back over the last 20 years in technology, this, this thing happens, right? Technology needs to reset every now and then. It's like a market almost. It's well, Railways were technology at one point, right? Yeah, exactly, right? And so, um, so I'm, I'm, I've always been fascinated by learning the past to be able to educate myself for the future. And so mm. how do you develop the knowledge? Like that medium post, I'll come back to it again, right? Like it was written in 2021 and I was reading it last night going, Holy fucking shit! You know, like, ha like, where did you ha like have this foresight? To because you literally were, you could have written that yesterday. Yeah, I know. Know? it's and crazy, it, it, mate. It was so good. You know, uh, and it's so probably the best piece of work I've done. I think yeah. in you know, 
in my life. Yeah, look, we'll put it here, Jono. This is right here for people to go off and see, you know, um, but it's in the show notes as well. I encourage you to read it. But how do you, so how do you get to that space in self-taught, you know, in a couple of years to, and then going back and thinking about, you know, past, you know. I have an interesting kind of perspective from kind of taking that lens of technology and the topic of the podcast was how do you, was it how to fight in how to fight inflation in a deflationary world mm. so how do you deal with you know inflation that you have in the present uh, in an environment where there are lots of deflationary forces ai automation yeah. and so forth um so i had a very interesting perspective of that specific topic where i had read a lot about what money meant yeah. and what interest rate and debt cycles looked like from a kind of markets perspective. And I also had a pretty good appreciation of what automation and AI could do. Um, and that kind of allowed me to, with all of the research I'd done on George Soros and reflexivity, yeah. that gave me the confidence to, I guess, write that and talk about those different topics. What do you mean exactly by peak re- refle- reflexivity? Yeah, so, it, um, okay, so it's, it's kind of touching on mimetic behavior. And mimetic behavior, uh, the perfect example of it is, you know, when you get a riot at a sports event, it starts generally from two people doing something or having an altercation, having a fight uh, or or something, and it just kind of escalates from there, right? Um, And mimetic behavior is, it runs markets, you know? So now the expectation about AI and the excitement about AI is going to drive asset prices, now, humans, are, of course, are not stable, consistent creatures. We have to, because we have a problem with, you know, how much information we can ingest, we do have to think in analogy a lot of times. We have to take information and kind of have like a very uh, surface level opinion of something and then we try and make decisions. Mm. And the market's trying to do that all the time. And what we're looking for in our strategy and how I look at the world is I'm like, okay, where is the expectations like divorced from reality? Like, uh, what's a good example that's relatively recent? Well, a bank run is a, is a mimetic yeah. and reflexive kind of situation where there's, you know, fears about the bank, therefore people draw money. Yeah. Or there are other places where people can put their money rather than a bank and get 0%, you know, yeah. interest, uh, where they can actually put their money and they can get a yield. Mm. So these reflexive kind of cycles where one user does it, therefore another user does it, and so so forth, creates like a reflexive cycle. And eventually the expectations and the euphoria basically means that asset prices may move too high or too low Mm. um, from the fundamentals behind it. Mm, Interesting, man. Like uh as I said, I could I could do a whole podcast on that on that blog alone. I think I've got like four. Well, Soros has like five or six hours on YouTube about yeah, it. So, and yeah. he's he's the guy that kind of started. And interesting about him is he and you know I mean as a character beyond a allocator. So I only really have a view of him as an allocator, not yeah. as a you know an individual you know person that does other things in the world that may have implications for all of us, right? Yeah. But as a yeah, asset allocator, I admire him because. What he does is he he is also able to jump into the bubbles mm. and ride them up, and that's something that I specifically struggle with. Mm. Like if I know that something is wrong or what is wrong, right? But if I think something is like this is a bubble, I'm not the best at jumping in and riding it. I'm much more comfortable. Is it just because of a moral compass, or no, not at all a moral compass. It's just uh, you know I. I like to have a, I guess, a margin of safety. I like to, I generally like to take like investments and take trades where I feel like the 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 kind of downside is mitigated. It's asymmetrical, yeah. right? Yeah. Like interest rates at zero, and then you know shorting bonds was a really good good kind of trade because essentially, where can it go to zero point one five from zero point two five? It can also go up to 5%, 5% plus. So that's a relatively asymmetrical trade. Whereas, you know, you've got, let's say, Bitcoin at $28,000 right now in this moment. Um, you know, where does it go from there? And where do I feel like I've got a margin of safety or where do I feel comfortable, obviously, allocating? Right now, for me specifically, I'm, I'm not too bullish on 
cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin specifically, just because I like to invest long in assets that are productive. So yeah. they, they, they generate something. So that's why I like businesses, software businesses, yeah. uh, other businesses that even if we traded in shells, someone would trade shells with them in order to fulfill a service, right? Mm -hmm. So when I was looking at crypto, I would look at, I think there's a project called Helium, which is basically like a decentralized Wi-Fi network. Yeah. And I just simply went, That's okay. the one with the, like the IoT device yeah. that you would each buy, right? And Correct. Yeah. So again, I'm pretty bearish on crypto, to be fair. And that's because when I looked at Helium and then I looked at a standard business that basically fulfilled the same purpose, the difference in valuation was completely out of whack. Mm. It didn't even make sense. So okay. Yeah, for me, it was like when I looked into it, I was like, like the logistics of it just didn't make sense to me, right? Like as a as a platform first, and then there was a whole NFT play I think they had on it, and there was like, and that's where I get a bit scared with crypto and and the rug pull stuff, right? Well, yeah. So and that's why, and you ask yourself, okay, this crypto project that's ran by four people um, has a market cap of three hundred billion dollars, or two hundred billion dollars, or a billion dollars. What do comparative businesses that aren't relying on this theme trading at? Yeah. And what do they, from a productivity standpoint, what do they bring to the market? You know, Ethereum is kind of an example of an ecosystem, a developer ecosystem that's providing a lot of services and uh, products to the market. You know, what does that do comparatively to, I don't know, Steam mm. or the, the Apple Store, right? Like, where's the fundamental productivity what do people get from using ethereum mm. and if the productivity makes sense then you know if the uh, level of value that that network is giving to the market makes sense from a market cap perspective i'm i might be interested yeah but if it's unproven and there's not actually that much usage like i used to look at all the crypto games and i just use, i just look at the traffic i just look at how is this 200 million dollar project only getting a hundred thousand visits to its website every month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, there's there's lots of money that's gone into YouTube videos afterwards. What with a lot of these crypto games, I can tell you, um, I'm enjoying them. I, my particular favorite was Coffee Vizilla on Logan Paul's yeah. Crypto Zoo, yeah. whatever it was. The crypto, what was? It? I can't even remember now. Um, but yeah, man. Hey, um, are we getting back to a weird world where it's just normal yields are going to be? Um, a thing or is it like because it's been just like insane yields over the last four, you know few years people just making crazy money in terms of appreciation of assets yeah well yes because it's because money was cheap right so the dynamic is simple like when interest rates are lower investors are able to look further into the future that's all it is mm -hmm. so but the problem is the further you look into the future the less accurate you are right i can see a world in 20 years where we are you know going and mining asteroids you know, and we're bringing those minerals back and we're making electric cars, uh, batteries with them, right? Yeah. I can see that in 20 years. Depending on how interest rates are, depending on my access to liquidity, I am able to look further in the future. Mm -hmm. There's an interesting dynamic there where, obviously, if every investor is only able to look one year into the future, I'm going to go and put my money in a 4% yielding kind of savings account and everyone's doing that. Mm. Then I don't want to be there because... For me personally, I'm a bit of a contrarian by nature. I like to look where no one else is looking. So I would then be like, oh, well, now I'm going to start you know, looking elsewhere. But if everyone's really hyped about a specific asset and it's had a huge appreciation, again, I kind of go, oof, I don't, know if I, need, I don't know if I should be there. Yeah. And is that because you're worried about that bubble? Yeah, I, I think that I have a, I try to, yeah. I, I, I think personally for us, we try to avoid bubbles mm. uh, and is that your gaming background coming into play, mate? Like, are you constantly that muscle memory from being a professional gamer must come into play a lot with trading? Yeah, for sure. Because you're making decisions without incomplete information, yeah. and you can make a pretty well thought out decision and be completely wrong, or just it doesn't go the way you wanted, yeah. or it took a lot longer than you expected. Um, I definitely think that plays a part, for sure, and. We have a internally within our strategy, there's two of us that run it, myself and a guy from Chicago. Yeah. And we have a internal kind of value, which is live to trade another day. Yeah, yeah. So we will just... Just the conviction to stay away from something that can potentially blow up in your face. Well, it's never worth going to zero, right? Yeah. No matter what, in anything, right? Um, 
you don't want to go to zero. So how do you live to play the game the next day? And the cool yeah. thing about investing is you don't have to take the you know you don't have to take the pitch. You don't have to actually play. Yeah, awesome. you can choose when you play. Yeah, hey man, this is really fascinating, and it's been it's an exciting time for your product to come out. You know, there's great companies like Sharesies and Hatch and all these other companies. Yours is another like looking at through another lens. That's um, right. I think it's always great when we're seeing new products in the market. There's plenty of pie for everyone and it sounds like your pie is very global from day one. Yeah, we're you're, focused on that. Yeah, you're coming, this product should be out now, right? Yeah, I mean, you can sign up at gembot.ai now and um, you join a kind of the early access. Uh, we really want to work closely with people that are passionate about bringing automation and AI into their wealth management. Yeah, and when you say that, so um, this is something I was going to ask you before, right? So it may... I'm very time poor, right? I mm. want to be able to make better financial decisions. Yep. I want to make better investment decisions. But I also would love if this RoboBot platform, it's got access to my bank account now, it's got access to this, that it says, all right, well, if you make some better decisions over here, Troy, you might be able to invest better over here. And so, Well, if you've got the whole, if the system has the context, it can go, hey, you know, Troy, you are on average 254 days early to trades. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting piece of data, right? Mm. I have a Charlie premium. We have a Charlie premium in our, in our strategy, which is that we will wait longer than we want to because we are typically late. We held our banking short for nine months. We were wrong for nine months and then over three days we were right and then we cashed out. Mm. Well, interesting, man, interesting. So what do you want people to know um, like about Jimbot now that we haven't got across in the podcast? I think what I would like people to consider is that, you know, investing is not linear mm. and the outcomes aren't linear. But if you can have a strong mental model of how, you know, the world works and you're well informed, then you can make nice long term decisions that help future you. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not just Gembot, but, you know, having a plan and executing it over a long period of time, I think that's you know having getting the benefits of compounding is what you is what you strive for in this game mm, right yeah, of awesome. building wealth yeah and that doesn't have to just be gembot that's also you know all the products out there including stuff like you know henry for example that is you know democratizing access to accountants um and you know creating deflation in that area and taking care of a very important part of your life you know in a very easy to use well priced application yeah uh same for us we will you know focus on how do we help you allocate you know your internal family office you know your yeah. your your personal net worth better yeah. utilizing automation and ai yeah have you met james for henry yeah i had a few conversations with him yeah, yeah, yeah for sure he's cool. along well yeah, yeah. yeah totally mm. Awesome, man. Hey, so that's um, that's fantastic, man. I really appreciate you coming on, Charlie. Um, we were introed by a, a guy I know in the States who said, hey, Troy, I love your podcast. You need to get Charlie. Super smart guy. I, sm I met you for five minutes yesterday and I was like, fuck you, man. You've got to come on. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I really, really appreciate cool. you having me on. Hey, last sort of question, right, is I'm trying to share the knowledge and like share little nuggets of information and tidbits for, with people that, you know, in the show notes where they can go off and find yep. something fascinating to look at. And so if you had to share some information, be it be a book, a podcast, a website, a blog or anything, I mean, I, I would tell them to go off and read your Medium blog, but, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, it's a no-brainer for me. So uh, Naval, you've probably heard of yep. Naval, of course. He had his three-hour podcast out, How to Get Rich Without Getting Lucky which is not really about getting rich, but it was a snappy title to get people engaged. Yeah. And that, you know, philosophy that he has kind of harnessed through other people's knowledge as well, um, really resonated with me. Mm. I've watched over three hours long and it's quite an investment of your time, but I've listened to it three times and I've got it a different thing out of it every time. Mm. And I think if there's one podcast on this planet that would help people get to happiness, yeah. I think how to get rich without getting lucky by Naval is absolutely the one thing that I would recommend to anyone. I'm going to listen to that on the plane on the way home tonight, man. That oh, man, it's going to, seriously, it's going to impact you. Um, yeah, like, don't go to my, <laughs> don't go to my medium post, go to that, because that yeah. is like fundamental kind of, yeah, thinking that is just next level. And long form podcasts, right, when you can get three hours deep on a topic and learn, like, the, the, it's such a, 
a fantastic place for me to hear someone's you know, thinking over a three-hour period or five-hour period and the likes. And so, you know, there's only so much that you and I can chat about within an hour and I've tried to get through, totally. touch yeah. so many bases, right, that it's hard to go deep. But. It is. Uh, I like it because it's, un it's unscripted, right? So you get the nuance and the kind of contextual uh, aspects that you may not have got if it was highly polished. Yeah. yeah and that's, and I, that's why I like long-form podcasts too, yeah, for sure. Awesome, mate. Well, hey, awesome. Appreciate having Good you, luck you for the launch, on. yeah. Um, I hope it goes really well. I think it's a fantastic product. You know, it's it's a lot of a lot of us in the tech and you know investment industry are really excited by this stuff coming out. You know, there's um, it's, I think it's the next wave. You know, automation is here and it's and it's put your hands around it. You know, yeah, it's definitely a platform shift like the internet for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Awesome, brother. Thanks for awesome, coming, man. Bye. Thank you. Appreciate it. Wow. I like to be the dumbest person in the room and you got to witness that today. Uh, fascinating conversation with Charlie. I love people that just go deep on knowledge. And so we've talked a lot about the 10,000 hours sort of technique in terms of getting skilled and becoming a professional in something. And I think Charlie's proof of, proof of that, you know, like very smart, really well researched. I'm going to go off and watch that YouTube video or that podcast I uh, hope you watch that and read Charlie's Medium post. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Season two's back. We're in Auckland. We're getting lots of love up in Auckland. So thank you so much to Ice House Ventures for hosting us again. Thank you for everyone that's following along and for subscribing. The subscribers are helping us to make this podcast bigger and bigger and better and better. And so thank you so much. And until next time. This podcast is produced by John Otaka from Empire Films.